morning, Berean family. Well, it's good to be back with you today. We uh, uh, took a team down to Costa Rica this week to do a kind of a discovery mission trip. I'll tell you a little more about that on a different day. But uh, before I get started, I am going to teach you a quick lesson, okay? You ready for a quick lesson? A Spanish lesson. Who, who here can speak Spanish? All right, I'm going to blow your doors off here. I'm going to teach you two words, all right? The first word is ovejo. Say ovejo. What does it mean? Sheep or lamb, right? Sheep. So a sheep is a vejo. The next word I want to teach you is abuela. Say abuela. What's abuela? Grandma. A lot of you knew that one. Grandma. It's very important to not confuse the two. So the first time, the last time I was in Costa Rica, I had... Last time I was in Costa Rica, there, there, we were at this camp, Campamento Santiago Hoke, and it's a Christian camp, but it's nothing really distinguishes it from the outside as a Christian camp. And uh, there's, it's in a rural area, and a bunch of ranchers are around, and I asked, does anybody around here know what happens at the camp? And they say, no, nobody really knows. They just people from the church and from the town come in. I said, all right, well, could somebody take me to buy a sheep? That we could, you know, buy from the rancher, meet him. I could, I could slaughter it and butcher it, and we could have a barbecue. And so that we, we did that. And I'll spare you more of those details. Uh, but we did that. And uh, uh, this trip, we're driving to this camp, and I've got uh, four other people from our, four other staff members uh, with with us in the van. And and uh, luckily, some of them spoke Spanish. Uh, Alex Lentrail and uh, um, Diego uh, were with us, and they spoke Spanish. Pastor Isaiah was there as well. Well, we're driving to this camp, and we pass by where we bought the sheep. At which point, I say to the non-English-speaking driver and pastor in the front, Abuela! Abuela! <laughs> El pastor Alfonso is just looking at me like, Why would you kill your grandma? Avejo is sheep. Abuela is grandma. There you go. You learned it. I'll save you from any kind of problems like I had. This trip, by the way, we had uh, was helped. It was put together by one of our missionaries, Curtis Burnham, who's a friend of mine. And uh, he's going to be part of this uncommon gift. Just so you know, uh, we're going to have an announcement at the end of the service today. I'm going to ask Pastor Bill to come up here with me. Um, and we're going to tell you about this uncommon gift. And what the uncommon gift is, is an opportunity for us to, to, to give to something outside of our you know, immediate church family. And uh, last year, if you remember, it was the uh, mission to Amish people. This year, we're going to be we're going to be splitting it and dividing it into two different areas. The first one is this: Curtis Burnham, our missionary, has basically a, a vehicle that's going to break down forever pretty soon. So the first part of it is is we're going to want to raise some funds to to put towards a new vehicle for Curtis. The second part is, has to do with our denomination. I told you two weeks ago that last week, I was going to tell you more about it, but then I couldn't talk last week. I had like laryngitis. So uh, we'll tell you more about that at the end of the service today. But right now, we are in a series in Genesis, Genesis in the beginning. And if you want to turn your Bibles, we are going to start off actually at the end of chapter 39 today. Um, we left off a couple weeks ago uh, we're with Joseph kind of heading into prison for something that he didn't do. 
something that he was innocent of. He was, he's heading to prison. He had already been sold by his brothers into slavery uh, through really no fault of his own. It's just his brothers did something wicked and sold him into slavery. And, and after that, he, he kind of, God gives him favor with the people in this house that he's a slave in, and he becomes like a chief servant and then gets falsely accused, put in jail. And that's where we're, gonna, we're going to uh, pick up today. But before we do, would you, would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for this day. God, we thank you for an opportunity to remember your birth. And as we, as we discuss these things, God, we, we, we need to remember that you came and dwelt among us. That you, God, left your throne in heaven and came and dwelt among us. Came to be a servant of those who create, you created. Came to die a death at the hands of those whom you created, in order to save us. God, as we go to your word today, may your spirit just speak in and through me and help us to take a step closer to you as a result. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I found my glasses. Cool, huh? I can see. It's great. I was just guessing every other time. All right. Genesis 39, 19 through 23. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, accusing Joseph, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph has kind of gone through the ringer, hasn't he? You know, granted, there might have been some arrogant issues where he had the dreams where they were from God that his, his, his brothers and his dad and his mom were going to one day bow down before him. There may have been some arrogance issues or just maybe, who knows, that he decided to go tell his brothers, guys, had two dreams, you're bowing down to me in both of them. You know, there, there might have been a little bit of that, but, but, but he didn't really do anything that we know of really overtly wrong. And his brothers hated him because he was the beloved son of their father. They hated him, so they were going to like, let's kill Joseph because we're tired of him. So they, they have this plan, and then they decide, you know what, we might as well make some, some money out of this deal. Let's sell him to this group. And this group, they take him into Egypt, and he's a slave. And, and he works diligently and hard and, and honestly, and he works hard for his master and, and helps him succeed. And, and through that, God is with him, and he gives him that favor. And now Joseph makes and works his way up to the top of this house as a servant, only to be falsely accused, something that he didn't do. His, his, his master's wife comes on to him over and over, and he's like, no, no, I wouldn't do that. You're my master's wife. He deals honestly and works hard. What does he get in return? Thrown into prison. Man, what does Joseph do there? God gives him favor with the prison, the keeper of the prison, and he says, you know what? You're going to be in charge of everything. Joseph is having some, some serious seasons in his life and it's long it's drawn out and it had to be difficult 
I've heard this taught twice now from two different people, so I don't know who to give credit to, so I just won't. I think it's been kind of used multiple times by multiple people. But this idea of, of, of relating our lives, where we are in our lives, with the different seasons and how they change. You know, you have spring, and, and in spring of life, you have new things, maybe new challenges, things that are invigorating, things that excite you. Maybe some of you right now are in, in the season of spring where things are kind of new and happening in, in a cool way in your life. Some of you may be in summer, which is great. Everything's kind of where it should be. Things are just lined up. You're in the summer season in your life right now, and things are just good. And others, there, there's fall. Fall, it's like life is changing at a rapid pace. Things are, things are becoming different for you. That can be exciting and that can be challenging. Maybe you chose those things that are different. Maybe you didn't. And you're in the fall of your life and you're trying to make sense of it and understand what is next for you. Others may be in winter where there just seems like it's gray, dull, painful, hard. There's a coldness in life. Maybe you're in one of those seasons. In fact, I'm sure you're in at least one of those seasons in your life right now. Maybe winter. Maybe it's challenged for you. Where do you think Joseph might have been when he got sold into slavery? Thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, then falsely accused. See, I think Joseph was in a winter season. An extended season of winter. And I want to talk about how God can use us in different seasons, how God can help us to grow regardless of the season we are currently in. But a key to it, a key to growth in any season that you are in is is accepting, submitting, surrendering to the preeminence of God. I'm going to say something and it might sound harsh to you. Your story isn't your story. It's his story. And when we accept the preeminence of God in our lives, we position ourselves for maximum growth regardless of the season that we're in. And I believe that Joseph did just that. Joseph in prison could have went to the corner, could have sulked, could have cried out, could have yelled at God and said, God, what did I do? You gave me these dreams that my family would one day bow down to me. You gave me this vision that I had, and all I was doing was trying to follow you, yet I get sold into slavery. And when I get sold into slavery, I work hard for my master. I do everything I'm told to do. I'm a good servant, God, and I'm doing it for you. And what happens? I get wrongly accused and put in this pit. That's where Joseph is at. But I believe that Joseph was submitted and surrendered to the preeminence of God and said, God, if this is your plan, I'm right here. I'm going I'm to serve you. And because of that, he achieved maximum growth in a t- difficult season. You see, I want that for all of us. That regardless of the season of life that we are in, that we will achieve maximum growth by submitting and surrendering to the preeminence of God in our lives. Recognizing that it's not my story, it's his. The story about Joseph isn't a story about Joseph at all. It's a story about God. That's what this story is about. It's a story about God. 
God uses difficult seasons in our lives, by the way. So if you're in the winter season right now, I want you to hear this. God, I believe, uses difficult seasons in our lives to prepare us for difficult assignments. What is God preparing you for right now? Have you asked that question, God, I don't know, whatever the season, maybe you're in summer, but we'll ask God, God, what are you preparing me for? What do I need to be ready for? Maybe you're in summer, things are good. Don't look past that. Or the people in winter will hate you, <laughs> right? Don't look past that. If you're in spring, things are new. God, what is it you're preparing me for? Things are in winter and things are difficult. God, this is tough right now. You're clearly working something. Please show me what I need to do. Show me what I need to learn. Help me to grow. The, cre- the, the key, again, of making, making it out of those difficult seasons in our lives with the most growth is submitting and surrendering to God's preeminence in our lives. In doing so, we must develop the following two things. Two things that we don't like to develop. Two things that we never really want to pray for. Patience and humility. Listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're like, I'm not a patient person, I'm going to pray for patience, look, at, look out. <laughs> or, or you might say, I'm not a very humble person, God, give me humility. It's coming, right? Luckily for me, every time I think I start getting prideful, I don't have to ask for that. It seems, I, it just kind of happens. My first game I get put into in, in junior high football, seventh grade, Clifford Smart, middle school in Michigan. We're going to play uh, uh, Waterford Crary, I think is the middle school's name. Is that right, Crary? And uh, the team was terrible. Our team was undefeated. Last game of the season, so seventh grade. The coach is like, all right, Kraus, go ahead and play. Well, I get out into the huddle. By the way, first game of the season, only game of the season with cheerleaders. So I'm like, all right, I get to play in front of cheerleaders. All right. Get, we break out of the huddle. I turned around and fall flat on my face. You want to know why? My pants were down. <laughs> all the way down. And that's what everybody else did too. So thank you for that. I'm reliving. Humility. <laughs> I grew in humility quickly that day. You know, it's hard to be prideful and arrogant when you're falling on your face with your pants around your ankles. First game of the season with cheerleaders. We need patience and humility in order to trust that God has a plan and it's better than ours. You've got to have patience and humility to realize and trust that God has a plan and it is better than your plan because it's his. Listen to Genesis 40, 1 through 4. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of, of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them into custody in the house in, uh, um, I'm sorry, in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. What we have here is God putting into play a plan that he had for Joseph's life to be used for God's glory. Joseph needed to learn to be humble, and he needed to learn to be patient. He needed to not try to break himself out of that prison, but to wait on the Lord. Friends, if you are in a winter season right now, everything in you is yearning for spring. Everything in you 
is desiring to get out of that winter season. Everything in you is like, God, please remove this season. I'm sick of winter. And there are some of you here right now that are saying in your head, amen, that's where I'm at. I'm tired of it. But I'm going to challenge you to change that cry, to change that prayer to God, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know how difficult it's going to be. But if I'm going to be here, help me to grow to be more like you. Work your plan out in my life. Grow in humility and patience and see what God will do in your life. Friends, his plan is better than your plan. Can we be real and say that's hard to trust sometimes? Some of you would say, Dan, listen, I know that God's plan is better than mine, but I just got diagnosed with cancer. Dan, I know that God's plan is better than mine, but my spouse just left me. I'm in a winter season, and to be honest with you, I don't see a way out of it. And it's hard for me to trust God right now. This, this, is, this is hitting a nerve with some of you. I know that it is. What's my challenge? Trust God. Trust God, for he is worthy of your trust. He is trustworthy. He is the one to say, God, I'm pushing the chips across the table. I'm all in. I'm surrendered to you, to your preeminence in my life. I don't get this at all. I don't know why I'm in the prison. I don't know why I'm in winter right now. But it's not my story. It's yours. Work it out how you choose, because I trust you. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. That's hard stuff right there, but that's what we're called to do. Both of these guys have these dreams. And they end up sharing their dreams with Joseph. God gives Joseph an interpretation of the dream. It wasn't Joseph's interpretation. You see, God was developing and unfolding the plan he had in Joseph's life. He gave, them, he gave him the interpretation of these guys' dreams. You know, to the, to the cupbearer, we find out later what the interpretation of the dreams is. Look, man, things are about to get good. You're getting out of this joint. God's interpretation. Dan's translation. <laughs> and then the second guy, the baker, he shares his, he hears that dream and the interpretation, he's like, oh, I can't wait to tell Joseph my, my dream. But that interpretation is a little bit different. Kind of a side point here. The truth isn't ours. It's God's. Do you think it would have been difficult for Joseph to tell that baker what was about to happen to him? Hey, the interpretation of your dream is you're going, to get your, you're going to be decapitated. And the birds in the air, they're going to be eating your flesh. Do you think Joseph was excited about telling him that, that, that truth of what was about to happen to him? Sometimes we need to realize that the truth isn't ours. It's God's. Let yourself off the hook. If you have something hard to say, do it in love. But do it also recognizing and realizing that the truth isn't ours, it's God's. And we need to stay in the truth. The interpretation belonged to the Lord, not to Joseph. The truth is the Lord's, it's not ours. Joseph was finally getting close, it seemed, to getting out of the winter season in his life. 
Things were looking up. Things were looking up for Joseph. Maybe right now, again, you are in this season and you're finding it difficult to trust God's plan. Maybe you're, you're finding it difficult to trust God's timing as well. You see, we need patience and humility, not just to trust that God has a plan and it's better than ours, but we need patience and humility to trust in God's timing. This is hard stuff today, isn't it? This is hard stuff. Genesis 40, 20 through 23, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, the head of the chief... Uh, um, and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer, listen to this, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph had said, hey, remember me. When you get out, remember me. Remember what I did here, guys. Pretty cool, right? Tragically, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's easy to trust God's timing when things are all coming together, isn't it? In the summer and the spring of our lives, it's like, you know what, God, I get it now. And all the winter is behind me. It makes sense to me. I trust in your timing. It's easy when things are coming together. But the dude forgot Joseph. He forgot him. He had a dream, and Joseph's like, here, this is what's going to happen. It happens, and he's like, Joseph, who? Days go by. Joseph had to be wondering, is it going to be today? Is it going to be today? Weeks go by. And Joseph has, ha has to be thinking, surely that cupbearer is with Pharaoh. Surely today will be the day. And listen to verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years... After two whole years, Joseph is in prison still after the interpretation of these dreams becoming uh, fulfilled for two whole years. When Pharaoh dreamed the dream that he was standing by the Nile, can you, can you imagine, maybe you can relate right now to Joseph for two years of waiting. Maybe you're in the winter season of your life right now and you are waiting and you've been waiting. You think maybe today is going to be the day, and then it's tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, and, and it's next week, and next week comes, and it's next month, and next thing you know, it's been two whole years. And you're starting to doubt. We need to remember it's not our story. It's his story. It's not our plan. It's his plan. It's not our timing. It's his timing. And by the way, in all of those ways, he is better than us. He knows more than us. And while it may not make sense to us right now while we're in that season, hold on, hold on to hope. God is trustworthy. You can trust him. We need patience and humility to trust in God's timing, even if it's been two years. Again, maybe Joseph needed this lengthy reminder 
41, 14 through 15, I had, I had alluded to this earlier. Only remember me, Joseph talking to the cupbearer, when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the pit. I, see, I believe Joseph starts trying to take matters into his own hands. God provided the people. God gave them the dreams. God gave Joseph the interpretation Joseph is faithful up to this point and gives the interpretation to the two guys that God has given uh, him. But then for some reason, Joseph's like, all right, I better intervene because God doesn't have it. And before we judge Joseph, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust your timing. I trust your provision. I trust that you're a good father. I trust that you are a good God. I know that you are trustworthy, but I got this one. Right? We do it. Joseph maybe needed this lengthy reminder because he was in a difficult season that was preparing him for a difficult assignment. There was a famine coming. And he needed to be prepared to be one of the guys in charge of probably saving thousands and thousands of lives. He needed a lengthy time to realize that, I believe. How often do we advocate for ourselves? And by the way, when we advocate for ourselves, we're making about us and not about God. When we advocate for ourselves, we're making it about us and not about God. We're missing the point, I believe. We need patience and humility to trust in God's plan, to trust in his timing. And you might find out here that the third point is just like the first. We need patience and humility to realize God's ways are much better than ours. You say, Pastor, that was the same point as the first one. I've been taking notes. You're absolutely right, but I can't overstate it. I can't overstate it. God's plans are much better than our plans. For one thing, he knows what's coming, and we do not. He knows the seasons that, that we're looking towards. We don't. You might think you do, but you don't. His plan is much better than ours. Genesis 41, 37 through 44. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Talking about Joseph. After he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to, uh, said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up your hand or foot or um, lift up hand or foot in all the land of G Egypt. Joseph tells the cupbearer, remember me, I'm in prison and I don't belong here. I was stolen out of my land. What was in Joseph's mind? He just wanted freedom. What was God's plan? It was so much better than Joseph's. 
Joseph couldn't have possibly known that these years as a servant, these years now as a prisoner, were molding him into the person that God needed and wanted him to be because he was living this difficult um, life because he had a difficult assignment ahead and he needed to be prepared for it. Perhaps right now you are in a winter season of your life. Perhaps it's because God has a difficult assignment that he needs you to be ready for. Have you asked him? Do you trust him? Friends, if you are in the winter of your life right now, if you are in a winter season of your life right now, God has a plan for it. You have to trust his plan. You have to trust in his timing. You probably need to develop patience and humility if you're in those winter seasons of your life. To surrender those to God. To to surrender to his preeminence in your life. To say, God, I trust you. Whatever it is, this isn't my story, it's not my life, it belongs to you. It was purchased with the price of your son. You see, when we call Jesus Lord, which many, if not all of us do, we say, you are my master and I am your servant. Why? We have been purchased with a price. The precious blood of the Lamb of God. We are purchased people. We, we, have, we have surrendered ourselves into the, under the Master, Lord Jesus. We need to realize that. If God's going to work these things out in our lives for our good and our glory, or His glory, sorry, We must surrender to him, to his ways, to his timing. We are a people who have been purchased with a price. Friends, patience is developed over time when and if we submit ourselves to God. We can miss the lesson. We can miss the opportunity for growth. We can be in the corner of that prison sulking, saying, why God, I don't deserve it. I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to miss those opportunities. Patience is developed over time. If and when we surrender and submit ourselves to God. But humility, humility is developed, I think, in our lives primarily when we consider who we are and who God is. Just as soon as we want to get arrogant and prideful, we need to stop and look in the mirror and remember who we are, who we were, who he is, and what he's done. Because I'll tell you right now, nothing will humble us faster than that. Nothing will humble us faster than encountering a crucified Christ who was crucified for our transgressions. Not for his for ours. That was our cross, friends. That was our cross. That was our punishment. That was our death that he took on for us. How can we be prideful or arrogant when we come and encounter that truth? That Jesus paid it all on our behalf. We're going to conclude this portion of of, of our, our message this morning by remembering just that. 
by, by we're going to serve the Lord's Supper and we're going to take it together. So I'm going to ask the deacons and, uh, to come forward and prepare. We do this remembering. We, we have this, this, this little, little bread that we have. It reminds us it reminds us of the punishment that the Lord's body took on our behalf. And this juice that we have, this little cup, it reminds us of the real blood that was shed on our behalf. Nothing should cultivate humility in us more than this moment. There was a problem that Paul had to address in the church in Corinth because people were taking this moment in communion and, and using it and, and forgetting about other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a, it's a symptom of this thing called pride. When faced with the elements of the Lord's Supper, we should be humbled because what they represent is the, the death and burial of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But they also give us hope because if he rose again, friends, he's going to complete what he said he was going to do. He is going to return. And that's what we do as we remember this. So I'm going I'm to ask the, the deacons to go ahead and to pass out the elements. I'm going to pray. As you get your element, though, I want you to take the, the, the bread and the juice, and I just want you to hold on to them. We'll just have a couple moments of just being quiet. And I want you to really consider, are, are you humbled before the Lord today? As you look at this little cracker and this juice, and you recognize and realize that what they, what they symbolize, the body bruised, beaten and scarred, the blood that came out of that body on our behalf because it was our transgressions. We have Christmas, I don't know, two weeks away or something. It's like right around the corner. We're all excited to celebrate how God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and tabernacle, to come be with, come dwell with us. But there's a truth about this manger scene that the cross is always above it. It's always coming. As we remember that God sent His Son, Jesus, to come live in this world and He lived this perfect life, the cross is there as a reminder of what He came to do. See, he knew about the cross in the manger. God, thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for what he endured in the winter seasons of his life. Thank you for the lessons that can be learned as we apply these truths to our lives. Thank you, God, that in a couple weeks we get to celebrate Christmas. And on that morning when we wake up, we, we remember the fact that you came. You were born in the most humble of fashion to dwell among us all the while, all the while recognizing and realizing that the cross was to come. But God, you stayed. 
And as a result of that, you have defeated sin and you have defeated death and you have given us hope that even in the winters of our lives, that we can know that there is a spring coming. There is new things on the horizon because of who you are, because of what you have done. As you get the elements, just take a couple moments. Surrender yourself anew today to Christ and His preeminence. Ask Him to show you areas in your life that you need to push across the table and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I need to give it to you. First Corinthians eleven twenty three and twenty six. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you." In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the reminder to be humble before you. Thank you for your word. God, as hard as it is to say, thank you for the winters of life, those difficult seasons where you use to prepare us for difficult opportunity 
God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude, I'm going to ask Pastor Bill to join me on stage. I, uh, I had made mention, I talked about Curtis, about kind of half of this uncommon gift of where this, these funds will go. And by the way, the uncommon gift, if I didn't say already, um, it's just an opportunity for us to give outside of our own walls. And what we're asking you to do is to consider maybe a, a price of one gift that you might buy this year to put under the tree and then and donate that amount of money uh, to the uncommon gift. That might be for some of you $5, for some of you it might be $100. Um, so just ask you to pray about what that might be. What we can start giving now, we're going to kind of do that as an offering at Christmas Eve. That's the only offering we'll receive at Christmas Eve service, or services will be for the uncommon gift. So I'd ask you to pray about that. But that was half of the story, Pastor Bill. And uh, uh, two weeks ago, I started to talk about this thing that happened in the denomination. So I'm going to kind of go over that again real quickly. But then I want to give, have you give us a little bit of history for our connection with Converge as well. So uh, I, I mentioned two weeks ago that there was an embezzlement thing that happened with the, within the denomination and millions of dollars were taken and found out to be gone. Uh, the person who stole the money then since, uh, as soon as was found out had committed suicide. Uh, there was mistakes made. There are always mistakes made by more than one person when something at this level happens. And this is, this is true for this case as well. But I believe that our denomination has done everything in its power in an integrity and in a God-honoring way to pay their debts, to unfortunately have some people probably resign, and to move forward. And what I want us to do with the other portion of this, of this gift, this offering for Uncommon Gift, is to use it to give to our denomination, Converge, and to say, we're in this with you. you see, it's easy for us to write checks to things like church planting and, and missions and all of those. It's, it's fun and it's exciting. But it's hard to say, there was a mistake made on your watch. And it cost all of us. But we're in this with you. Friends, this is an opportunity for us to really demonstrate the goodness of God and the gospel to our denomination. And it's, it's not a super exciting and fun ask, I'll admit. But I think it's one of the most Christian things that we can do, if there is such a thing is to, to join our brothers and sisters where there have been mistakes made and difficult things have happened, but to say, we're in this with you. Pastor Bill, uh, the denomination, while well, I want to say we're in this with them, they've been in with us as well, haven't they? Yes, they have. Yes, they have. You know, this, I've been at this church for 34 years. You are my family. My wife and I, you are our family. We appreciate that. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 50 years, and Converge has been the denomination I've been associated with the entire 50 years. You know, when I came to faith in Christ in 1972, God led me to a little Baptist church in Solon, Ohio, North Solon Baptist Church, and uh, got involved in, in our denominational camp, Camp Burton where I got my first taste of, uh, of Christian ministry, which led to seminary, which led to the pastorate, which ultimately led here. Converge is my church family. And uh, now all of you know that, that Berean was founded in 1979. How many of you are aware of the fact that there was an earlier church plant 
by Converge here in Mansfield. Anybody know that? Berean is not the first church plant. Our denomination had such a heart and commitment to Mansfield, Ohio, that the first one failed after a couple of years to no one's fault, just didn't work out. And then they began investing in, in uh, uh, Mansfield again. And it was, uh, it was associate pastors from different district churches that would come on Sundays to fill the pulpit, and Pastor Dave was one of them. And so we have been involved with Converge. Converge has been involved with us the whole time and even before Berean was here. I, Pastor Dan, I can't tell you how thankful I am, how grateful I am that you would have this kind of heart for a denomination that's been my whole life when not too many people know about Converge. We didn't talk about it a lot over the years. So I, I appreciate that. And I know Julie and I are going to be standing with you and Berean and with Converge in this. I had a chance to serve on the board for six years, and what a great opportunity to be with, with these wonderful church leaders. And, and I don't know how many of you know that, that Converge is one of, if not the most successful, if I can use that term, successful denominations in our country today in planting churches. Eight out of every ten Converge church plants succeed. The national average is, is 2 out of 10. Uh, our denomination's headquarters used to be in Chicago. Bill Bright invited Converge to come and build a new headquarters on a piece of property that Campus Crusade would give them if they would open a training center to other church planters from denominations around our country. That's why we're in Orlando now, because of Bill Bright what he saw in our denomination. So we're little. I always tell people, compared to the Southern Baptists, we're a spit in the bucket. But God has used Converge in some very significant ways. Why he allowed this to happen, I have no idea. But we just have to trust him in it. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's hard to understand why this happened, but I do believe that this is our family, like you said, Pastor Bill. And because it's our family... We need to be in this with them. You know, we need to be the, in this with them. Uh, imagine being Scott Wright out, our denominational present, president, when he finds all of this out. This has been putting him and many others through the ringer of, like, how on earth did this happen? How are we going to recover? And to hear from churches, not, you messed up, we're out of here, but we're in this with you, mm -hmm. you know, and sacrificially in this with you, I think says something very important um, to our denomination and, and uh yeah, it's very important for us to do. We're going to go ahead and close at this time. Um, I ran a little bit over. I, I didn't preach last week, so I had to make up for it. So, But go in the love, peace, patience, and humility of the Christ. We'll see you guys next week.